0: Welcome to the Other Side of Potential podcast, where we explore how high-level leaders think and prosper in complex business environments. Each episode takes a deep dive into how these leaders balance the complexity of business in our ever-changing world with their own quest for a meaningful and prosperous life. This is Sharon Spano. Welcome to the Other Side of Potential podcast. Before we begin, let me ask you to think about your business in a completely different way. I know that you're an expert in business systems and processes, or you wouldn't be successful. But what if the one thing you don't know is actually costing you time, money, customers, and higher profitability? I want to invite you to one of my two-day experiential workshops to learn more about how you and your team can actually develop a systemic approach to business. Every day, hidden dynamics are quietly sabotaging you or your organization. But you can change that through a research-based process called systemic mapping. When you learn to access the proven principles of systemic mapping, you'll uncover subconscious patterns of behavior that are undermining your success. You'll also discover new patterns that will accelerate performance and profitability. If you're serious about serious growth, the time is now. Go to SharonSpano.com forward slash workshops to learn more. Join me today in welcoming my guest, Lindsay Hotmeyer. Lindsay is a copywriter and message coach. She basically helps coaches and leaders find their authentic ways to stand out in today's noisy marketing world, and can't we all use some of that? In full disclosure, I met Lindsay at an event last year. She actually was the highlight of the event for me, and I was so impressed by her approach That she is now my copywriter and I am just honored to have her as part of the work that I do. What makes her work so unique is that she uses tools and principles that are rooted in the science and philosophy of phenomenology and I love this approach so much that I actually used it in my own doctoral work and I'll ask her to expand on how this approach is used in her own copywriting process so that you have a deeper understanding of of what that means and looks like. Uh, But for the purposes of this introduction Understand that Lindsay is gifted at helping her clients dig into the true essence of their work, and she's certainly done that for me. And she helps their brands by moving them beyond the explicit to reach the implicit. And I'll I'll let her, of course, expand upon that in her own words. The proof of her work lies in the fact that over the past three years, Lindsay has successfully partnered with more than 200 solopreneurs and Fortune 500 companies to help them discover greater clarity and confidence in their messaging. So I've asked Lindsay to be on the show today because as we continue to explore the complexity of business in today's ever-changing world, it is clear at least to me that we can all use this level of support in crafting our brand message, no matter what business or field we're in. So without any further hesitation, welcome to the show, Lindsay. It's great to have you on board.
1: Well, thanks for that introduction, and it's so great to be here. I'm excited to just talk with you for a bit.
0: Well, I'm excited to hear more about the methodology because even though I've experienced it, um, I, I don't know that I really knew it was grounded in phenomenology. So that's a, that's just going to be a great dive for us. But before I get into the questions that I have for you, can you just give our listeners a glimpse into how it is you came to find yourself in the copywriting industry in the first place?
1: Yeah, so, kind of a long journey I I feel to the copywriting industry and I think that's probably not unfamiliar or unusual for many copywriters. I didn't start out thinking I wanted to be a copywriter. You know, I went was in college in the late 90s. That was long before internet really existed for for most of us and so I knew that I loved to write and that I wanted to you know change the world so to speak with my ability to write but for me I thought that the only avenue was to be an English teacher and because I knew I didn't want to be in journalism and so it just felt like that was the way that I needed to go and I Graduated. I taught for a few years and then stepped out of teaching when I started having kids. I have four children, and when I had baby number two, I said, "You know what? Um, I just need to step out and and be a mom." And so I spent the next ten years being a mom in addition to a lot of other things. You know, I never stepped completely out of the workforce. I uh, partnered um, with a lawyer and worked for him for a while. I was an adjunct professor at a university for the majority of that time. I helped people on their political campaigns. I was always doing something. And, um, Then, when shortly after I had our fourth child, he was just a few months old, and my husband and I had bought a house that we had decided this was our dream house. We were gonna we were gonna raise our kids here. We were gonna die. We were gonna die in this house. And so we gutted it. We we um, completely remodeled it. And when we moved in a few months later, after we moved in, uh, fifteen thousand hogs became our next door neighbors about within a three square mile radius of us. We lived out in the country in a three square mile radius. We found ourselves surrounded by just the proliferation of industrialized agriculture. Wow. We were familiar with these types of farms. We felt that we had done our research. We thought that where we were living, we were going to be safe from them. And so it was like just really hard blow. Like, oh my gosh, we've spent, you know, I think at that point, that was 2006 so we had been married for uh not quite 10 years but we had lived in in the in the area for a while um we felt like we had done our homework and we still got slammed by this news and immediately i went into activist um i learned everything I could learn about industrialized agriculture. It was insane. Like, I'm like, how, how did I become this person? But I think it was because I'm looking at my four children and I reading and I'm understanding the impact that these hogs could have on, on my, our air and on our water and our food supply. And, um, the, the way that the law was written, these hogs weren't regulated. There was absolutely no watchdog because the farmer who had came in, who had come in, um, utilized every loophole that he could so that he didn't fall under any watchdog. And so that was what was really concerning to me and to others in the community. And um, so that just, com- that moment, I probably spent about two years kind of in this activist mode, um, and that completely shifted my ideologies, my, my life goals, uh, my perceptions on community and on the democratic process. It changed everything um, to the point that I ended up going back to school to earn a master's in professional writing and decided Um, I can't, I can't affect change through the normal processes that have been laid out. Uh, It just doesn't work that way. And the only way that I can affect change is through the power of words and kind of go went back to that initial conviction and passion that I had from the get go, um, and so earned my master's in professional writing, traveled all throughout the state of Ohio, collecting the the lived experiences of those people who lived next to these farms. That was my master's thesis thought that thought that that might be connected somehow to my life's work but but obviously it isn't you know in the in the raw sense of the word, but um, that's really where I started to become exposed to these phenomenological principles. And then just realize, you know what, I'm going to be a copywriter because people, people have passions and goals that they need to live out. And I want to help them do that through the words that they write. So long, long explanation of how I got here.
0: (laughs) No, but it's a fascinating story. And I did not know that story. And it's, um, it's quite dramatic, because um, I don't think any of us could even imagine something like that happening. And I think what struck me the most is, you know, the whole idea that this farmer wasn't regulated. And so, yeah, anything could be going on there that would impact, you know, the whole environment that your families are uh, in the community or, or in the midst of. That's quite, quite interesting. So what I wanted to say was what struck me uh, in that story is that I hear this often is there's there's typically an event or more than one event that happens that seems to catapult, you know. While while in the moment it seems like a a catastrophe, but then it's often the spearhead that catapults us into a next phase of life, and the learning that goes along with that uh, is often very powerful because the bigger the event, right, uh, the bigger the bigger the jump. So I want to commend you for um, taking on that role as activists, but then also I think the, I'm curious about the process of really learning, because here you are looking at the lived experience of these people near the farms. And I go, at what point did you realize, okay, this isn't it, but I want to hold on to these principles and then shift them in this other direction?
1: Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, <laughs> the, the sad answer is, is probably just disillusionment and powerlessness. Um, And, and I don't want to berate the agricultural world or the system, but there is a, there is a powerful force there within that, that world. And um, there's a lot of people that are, are standing up to try to change the way that our food system works and the way that it looks. And I think that the energy that it requires requires a special person to stay in that, in that mess and in that fight. And um, I think it was just <laughs> really the sad answer is me realizing I, I cannot, I can't keep living my life like this, like the toll that it was taking on my health and on my, you know, my husband was like, you know, you, you need to pull out of this because I, when I get into something, I get so obsessively focused on it that it was hard for me to live life outside of that. And so I just had to step away, um, and realize the only way I can affect change there is through the way that my family eats their food and the, the way that we contribute to the small local farmer. Um, cause I really think that's how change is going to affect that whole situation. Mm-hmm. Um, So it was just me stepping away and just thinking what, you know, to, to, to quote Jim Collins, you know, what, what can I be the best at? It really was that question of what, what is, what am I the best at? And it was really, I, I am the best at listening to people's stories and helping them pull out the most authentic parts of those stories and then showing up and it just fit within the copywriting world that made, that made the most sense that that's where the people were that needed that type of help. And so that's where I went.
0: Well, I love that. And I just to kind of uh, complete the loop, did you wind up selling the house? I mean, were you even able to sell it given the circumstances?
1: We did. We ended up selling the house. My husband was in a doctoral program. And so at that point we had already realized we aren't going to die here in this house. Like we aren't even going to stay in this community. Um, he's a, he's a college professor. And so we knew that we weren't going to stay there. And so it came down to, yeah, we need to sell this house right now so that we, we know we can get out of it. Um, when the time comes for us to actually move. And so by the grace of God, we were able to get out and we moved into town and we lived in town for about four more years. And it was, a wonderful experience. Kids were the kids were just down the street from their best friends. It was kind of a little cocoon experience for us during an intense time of my husband being in a doctoral program. You've been through that. You know what that's like. He, you know, <laughs> it was <Yeah>. intense. <laughs> and, so, and so we just needed yeah, we just needed some quiet time. And that was also the time that I was go- I was in my master's program. So so yeah, we did sell our house and we moved past it.
0: Well, I'm glad for that. And I, I just have to point out quickly um, I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of having to step away because I went through a similar experience uh, when I was an advocate in the disability arena. As I think most of my listeners know, I had a son with a rare metabolic disorder who was physically disabled. And uh, from the time he was born, you know, I got active and I spent a great amount of time trying to affect social change in the in the political uh, systems and social systems and 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 had a great about a great amount of um, impact along with a lot of other uh, parents who were in that same uh, sphere. but at one point I, I hit that wall similar to what you described, um, where I felt like okay i 've given it all i 've got, but every time we get a new governor or a new president, we seem to start over. And uh, it, it just was taking such a toll on me between the travel and the the uh, rapid fire response that's needed, you know, uh, to lobby and, and make a, a governmental change was just too much. So I, I know exactly what you're describing. And for anyone out there listening who's hit a wall in a career decision like that. Um, again, that that kind of can either pull you down where you you get so defeated, you don't know where to take all that you've learned in that process. But it sounds like you did similar to what I did was I looked at the skill set and said, okay, I've learned all these things. I found a, a new voice here in this this sphere of influence and then actually it was the beginning of my speaking and consulting career because I learned about systems when I was engaged in all that and I think that's what I'm hearing you say as well is that accurate that you saw you learn to see systems differently
1: right definitely
0: so then tell us how your your process works because I've experienced it and I will say again that to me you were not the typical, are not the typical copywriter, in that you did go deeper. You spent quite a bit of time interviewing me, listening uh, listening to interviews of people who had worked with me, because my work is, is complex and kind of difficult uh, to describe in concrete terms. Um, but I felt like you got it, I, I guess I want to say, quicker than anyone else I'd ever worked with. So maybe tell a little, tell us a little bit about how that process works in your mind on, on your end when you're working with a client to get to that uh, deeper understanding of their work. And what do you mean by explicit versus implicit? Because I'm not sure everyone knows what the, what the terminology means and how it might apply in your industry.
1: Right. So just a little background to kind of explain even kind of the pre part of the process and why I feel that it's so necessary is, you know, part of the beauty of entrepreneurship is that it leaves each man's destiny kind of in his own lap. You know, it's self, it's, it's self-reliance growth is, you know, the onus of growth as on for those of us in business is on us. And that's part of the beauty and the, the, just the angst of being in business But I think one of the consequences of this is that it sort of made us retreat into our inner caves. You know, in a sense, we've become the living embodiments of Plato's allegory of the cave where, you know, it was people born in the cave where they watched the shadows of life around them and never really understood the true realities. And I think that's the same for us. You know, and the problem is that we go about our lives and our work convinced that those shadows that we see and the meanings that we apply to them are the only truths that exist. So we feel safe and familiar, but we become calloused to any ideas that end up contradicting our own understandings. But without challenges to our thought processes, you know, when we stay safe and familiar with our own assumptions and our own biases, we risk developing a really shaky sense of our foundational core, our foundational beliefs. Some might call this our worldview, the values and the knowledge and the beliefs that form our core identities. It makes it then easy, and this is where my work comes into play, it makes it really easy for us to then look to frameworks or templates or how-to guides that have been birthed out of ideas and convictions that we don't really understand. Um, And then we take those and we blindly implement them into our messaging or our business processes. And I think the best analogy I've come up with is that we wind up kind of running around like we did as small kids. You know, I think of all the times that I sang the song, um, ring around the Rosie having zero clue that it was about mass death. Um, you know, we latch onto things and we just don't understand the true meaning of them. And we, we falsely apply them. And so the thing is when we want to show up with impact and really reach our audience, and pursue our own passions, you have to start with the foundational understanding of our own moral, philosophical, and spiritual, um, those filters that we use. And if you're interested in finding your way to those filters, then you have to be willing to look deeply at your own kind of worldview, at your own values, at your own knowledge, all those ingredients of the core identities. But what I've seen is that those frameworks and those templates, they come in kind of as this masked hero promising a quick fix, It's easy to bypass the work. If you just implement these steps, if you just follow these guides, I promise you're going you're to spit out high figure results. And so people take those and then they get frustrated because they look and sound like everybody else and they're not showing up making the impact that they want to. And so my work comes in and says, hey, let's let's focus on moving beyond the frameworks for just a little bit so that we can dig to the beliefs, the values, and the knowledge that are really driving and informing you to begin with.
0: I wonder we hit it off so well, because um, it's just another version of what I do uh, in the context of the systemic mapping work that you know, you're know you so familiar with and the DNA right. workshops that I offer, because I know you did you went pretty deep into why these things mattered to me, and um, not only in terms of why I believe they were important, but the essence of the work, as you like to call it, and the values linked to it. And, and, um, and then the knowledge base, as you said, so I like it, it's beliefs, values, and knowledge, correct? Right, right. So that's the differentiator is that it's not a cookie cutter process so that you look like everybody else just to and and that is the world we're living in now it is very difficult i find to differentiate yourself you know in my early career you know as a speaker author whatever um you know there what there wasn't i mean i i stumbled upon the speaking industry now everyone is a speaker i mean you just can put up a website and say you're a speaker and an author and you know or a consultant and boom there you are so and that doesn't mean that they're not worthy of the of those uh titles it just means um if i'm hearing you correctly you know there's an opportunity to dig deeper to to figure out what is it that you have to offer uh, within those titles that go beyond the traditional frameworks uh, to a deeper level of understanding about the difference you want to make in the world. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Right, definitely. And you know you asked about the implicit and the explicit, and the thing is you know most people most people the things that kind of drive us, you know those values and beliefs. So much of that is what is implicit. It's there and it exists and it moves within us but rarely do we really Know it or or acknowledge it some of us do but I think the the majority of us just kind of take those things for granted Because they've always been there, you know, they started being instilled in us long before we had the ability to show up and and, um, understand that's what was happening and So those things that are always there, they wind up and this is this is very similar to your work because they wind up shaping our relationships and form our business practices. They guide us in every way. But unless we are able to acknowledge them and bring them out and see them exactly as they are and see them exactly for what they're doing, um, we just kind of go about our business accepting our own ideas and our own biases, our own assumptions as kind of that big T truth. We think this is true for me, so it must be true for everybody or it works for me. It's working for me now, so it must be fine. But you, you've you got to push pause and say, hey, wait just for a minute. Maybe what I've been accepting as this big T truth all along, maybe there's another way Maybe, maybe my goals and my visions have gone askew just a little bit. Um, And so for me, that's those are that's the process and that's the process that I try to dig into um, to help my clients make decisions and make marketing um, messaging choices that will really not only reach their audience, but the biggest thing for me is that it rings true and authentic for them, for, for my clients.
0: Well, and I think in today's world, what, what makes that difficult, at least it has for me, is that I have so many different facets to my business and I do a variety of things, even though they all come under the one umbrella of what I'll call human and organizational systems Um, The messaging is often challenging for me because there's a there's a spectrum of work that I do Um, So maybe you could talk a little bit to the process of, of how you might engage someone in this way
1: Yeah, and so The process that I use is something that i've come to call the unbrand method, which is really just hey, let's let's step out of the noise for just long enough to find yourself. Um, because man, that marketing noise out there, it is, it's intense. And when you tune into it really, you know, for, for long enough, it gets pretty overwhelming and can be pretty stressful because you know, you're, you feel like your kid blindfolded being spun around to play, to pin the tail on the donkey. Like where do, where do I even land? Um, and so this the unbrand method kind of roots itself for me in three questions which is what is my why what's missing from my market and what can i do to make an impact and those questions aren't unique to me it's not like i'm the first one to show up asking any of these questions but I do think that the way we've been taught to answer those questions in the messaging world, um, is causing us to be to show up a little bit shorthanded because that's, this is where the phenomenological ideas come in. Because if we, if we just ask these surface questions and just answer them in ways that are explicit as in ways that we automatically think that we know, um, we're not digging deep enough to really get to that true essence and to really be able to show up with a message that reaches deep within our target audience and speaks to them in a way that they need to be spoken to.
0: So I totally get what you're saying. I'm wondering if it would be possible for the sake of the listeners to give an example of how those three questions might be answered, um, more at, um, I, I think you called it the, I forget the language, not the implicit or explicit, but more of that, that surface level, if you will, versus how they may be answered from more of a phenomenological perspective.
1: Yeah. So a a lot of times, you know, the, the principles of branding are good principles. I'm not saying let's just throw it all out. That's not at all. I'm, those are good principles. You know, we're taught to look at our competitors and see what they're doing. We're taught to um, kind of, kind of think about what's, what's unique to my business or what is my company culture like? How do my employees relax together? You know, those types of questions that are all good questions, but if you want to get deeper beyond those questions and understand kind of the the reasons behind those answers then you have to dig a little deeper with with more um, follow-up questions like What's it like to be a part of this community? Maybe how did you feel on the first day of being on the, in this community? Um, what does this community mean to you? Looking at the unspoken words, uh, metaphor is huge to me. And so even asking people to talk in terms of, of pictures, what does this look like to you? Because um, explicitly, they may, say, they may say one thing. But when you start to ask them to paint their ideas and their philosophies in terms of pictures, you start to see that there's maybe some more heavy ideas and concepts behind what they're saying. It, it goes to the concept of sometimes we're afraid to speak our own truths. And so if, if I can dig in and help pull those truths out, it reveals things that End up being meaningful and impactful, not just for the business owner, but this is something that needs to be done for businesses' audiences as well. We often will just ask really leading questions, like for example, Walmart. I think lost billions of dollars a few years ago because they wanted to gather input from their their consumers on what the consumers wanted their store to look like, and so they showed up with a survey, and it was. Um, trying to remember what the specific question was they asked, it was, would you like Walmart to be less cluttered? That was the question that they asked the consumers. And so of course, as consumers, they said yes. And so Walmart spent billions of dollars uncluttering their store and it ended up losing billions of dollars because they listened to that very surface leading survey question that they asked the consumers, and that's not what the consumers wanted at all. But because of the question that was asked, the consumers answered in a very specific way and led Walmart astray.
0: Mm. Interesting. So when you're thinking about the work, I mean, it almost seems to me, Lindsay, and I have felt this in our work together on occasion, I, I, I feel like you're you do a level of branding that goes beyond copywriting in and of itself as, as maybe the average person might think of copywriting. Do you feel that way about your work? Do you feel that you lean into, uh, well, I know you, you know, part of your work is crafting the brand message, but I mean, does it go deeper into branding, uh, than just the message in some ways Do you go into strategy in some ways?
1: I think that there is some strategy involved, but for me, I always try to root it and anchor it in the messaging strategy as opposed to the overarching brand identity strategy. But much of what is discovered should be able to easily translate to some of those other, um, some of those other aspects of brand identity Um, messaging is my Messaging is my strength. And so that's, I'm very, I'm always very careful to say, look, I'm not a, a brand strategist. I may, I may maybe a brand message strategist. Um, but there's a lot of big picture visual branding aspects that happen that I, I would never want to touch. But I think that when you start to dig into these deeper aspects of, your why, uh, what's missing from your market, what can you do to make an impact. It's really hard to just contain those two aspects of messaging. They're going to natural, naturally bleed into everything else that you do.
0: Mm-hmm. So I see you as part of that, that stra- uh, branding strategic team then based on what you've said because uh, to your earlier point, a, a brand strategy company I I, I think typically has, you know, writers and whatnot on on board, but it could be uh, very easily the deeper level of work, as you're describing, it could be very easily missed in my estimation. I think I've experienced that. And, And, you know, my earlier career where people came in and, you know, wrote up things that were nowhere near in alignment with what I did, believed or felt, um, but they had a process and and you know they however, they came to those conclusions i'm not even sure, but then then I always found found myself winding up having to go in and rewrite everything because it was right. so off target so well, right. is there anything more well, let me ask this question and then I want to shift over to some of the questions that I have for you on a on a on a business person, or actually more of a personal level in terms of your own perspectives because, as you know, this show is about looking at the complexity in business and how leaders uh, integrate that with their own quest for a meaningful life and and prosperity along the way. But who then is, would you say is your avatar, your ideal client?
1: Yeah. So my ideal client are coaches and thought leaders who really are just um, looking for somebody who gets it and wants who want to step away from that noise so that they can show up in a way that is authentic to them. You know, that, that have, have tried the processes like you have talked about, have tried it, have been there, have done it and have said, I'm still missing something. If that's you, then that's who I want to work with.
0: Awesome. Okay. And the process itself typically is it different for each client or is it, um, uh, i mean do you have a i i'm i know you have a method that's based in the phenomenological uh understanding and maybe we can just for a moment ex- explain how what what you mean by that because and i'm not sure everyone is familiar with uh that way of thinking or or that that way of uh it's to me it was a method i don't know how it showed up for you but to me it was a method that informed uh my doctoral research right
1: yeah so you know phenomenology is pretty, um, pretty, uh, matrixy. If I could, if I can uh, invent that word or use that word, you know, there, there are a lot of different avenues and ways that you can approach it. And a lot of different philosophers who have come in with their input and their take on what phenomenology is, what it looks like. And for me, um, one of the phenom- one of the, the researchers that I've used, um, a contemporary researcher, his name is Max Van Manen, and he wrote a book called Researching the Lived Experience. And I guess first, phenomen- phenomenology is about that. It's about getting to the essence of the lived experience, kind of trying to drill down as closely and tightly as we can to kind of one experience that happened and sorting through all the mess that life introduced to us after that experience and trying to just kind of magnify that single experience and really understand what was I thinking? What was I feeling? What was I going through at this moment? Um, Because life introduces so, so much after our experiences that we end up developing a lot of assumptions and biases and prejudices. And um, so yeah, phenomenology is just really trying to drill down to that exact moment and distilling your truth or your lived experience in a way that is not colored by anybody else. And so Max Van Manen, his approach, it's kind of a a five or six fold approach that I have taken and adopted into my own. And so those steps um, that I really focus on when I work with clients is number one, I say, and I try to implement this kind of this slowing down period. You have to slow down so that you can identify what it is that commits you to your world and to your market. This, this is about that question of what is my why? So you have to slow down enough so that you can answer that question. And then secondly, to answer that question, you have to be honest about the way that you live out your why Versus the way that you conceptualize your why and this is so huge This is where those assumptions and those biases and viewpoints all come in and color the way that we perceive Our why versus the way that we actually live it out And I have a story that I can talk through in a little bit to kind of illustrate that but Mm -hmm. Let me go through the rest of the points. The third is then once you've done that you need to do what um, I call find And sort. So you need to look at all of the themes that have been consistently running throughout your life and then use those themes as sort of the filter that you, you sort everything else through. Like if, if I have consistently been a person that helps people see the unseen, then That should inform every other decision that I make. And does this align with the strengths that I have identified for myself? Does this align with that? Does this align with the passions and the purpose I have identified? And you use those themes to sort of shake everything out through. Fourth, you need to immerse yourself in your market. You have to understand yourself as your audience understands you, um, one researcher has said, you know, the researcher's job is to eavesdrop, to listen in and capture the essence of what is perceived by our audience. You know, you you want to just observe your audience and not assume that you know them so well that you don't need to observe and immerse yourself in them to understand. And then lastly is what I call zooming in and zooming out. You need to consistently come back to this process, essentially, is what that means. You need to always be kind of peering in closely and then stepping back and looking at the big picture. Like a museum, you step closely and you look at individual parts, and then you're going to step back and see a complete different perspective of, of of the painting. And that's what we have to do with our lives, with our market, with our message. It is a cycle that never stops. We don't ever arrive. We need to constantly be going back and, and doing that sifting, constantly be honest, go uh, finding and sorting, constantly immersing ourselves in our market. Um, so those are the five things that I really focus on and try to take my clients through when I work with them on these deep branding projects.
0: I really love all of what you're saying because I don't know that I've ever heard anyone and I have interviewed some copywriters before. I don't think I've heard anyone uh, speak to it in quite this way. Um, so share the story you were going to share, and then I have a question for you if you if you would.
1: Yeah, so just an example of what happens when you don't do this about ten years ago, and I think this was I think this was post hog farm.
0: Um, <laughs> is that how life is pre and post hog farm? Yes, it
1: <laughs> is. It is. And so it's somewhere in those years. And yeah. I think it was post of me kind of trying grappling with what do I do next? And so I, I introduced a nonprofit to my community. It's called neighbor link and it originated in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's still there. Um, not, not my community, but the, the founding chapter of this nonprofit. Um, Its mission is summed up in three words, love your neighbor. And so the whole structure of NeighborLink is centered around connecting volunteers to people in need from, it could be the huge, large-scale home improvement projects to something as small as uh, encouragement or giving, giving a basic helping hand. This year alone, the Fort Wayne, the original chapter, has interacted with thousands of people Uh, mobilized more than 120 groups of volunteers, helped more than 1,000 projects. And when I interacted with, with NeighborLink Fort Wayne, I knew that it aligned with my own convictions. And so I wanted to bring that to my own hometown. And so I assembled a board of directors and started laying the foundation for NeighborLink to exist in my own hometown. But I didn't do any of that work that I just talked about. And so I wasn't prepared for the resistance that I ended up facing. Naturally, this was volunteer. This was missional work. And so I I approached churches to come on board, but none of them wanted to collaborate um, and come together to kind of get under this umbrella and mission of neighborlink. I assembled my board of directors with church pastors who really never stepped all into the mission. Um, and I realized, you know what, I'm not equipped with the extroverted skills that I need to be able to foster some of these relationships in the community. And so looking back now, I, um, Realized that I just misaligned my own why I knew I was passionate about helping others and I thought this aligned but because I didn't do that deep work, I put myself in a place that really, I wasn't equipped to succeed at. And, um, So I just use that as an example, kind of in my own life of this is why doing that deep work is so important because it's so easy to step into places that feel right and feel comfortable, feel like they check all the boxes, but if they're just slightly askew, it's not going to work. And that was my experience.
0: I think that's a great example, Lindsay. So I'm curious if you had had someone do the this deeper level of work and, and go through that process and the the questions that you enumerated for us, what do you think might have looked differently for you within that um, effort?
1: Yeah, I think I probably would have found my way to copywriting sooner. Um, I don't. I don't think I either. A I wouldn't have even attempted to bring NeighborLink to the community, or I would have done it from a more um, backseat role. I would have found somebody that was equipped with those skills to actually foster some of the relationships that need to be fostered and said, hey, this is my vision. Can you help me? I wouldn't have tried to do it by myself. I thought I was equipped to, to do it by myself, and I wasn't. Um, there is now another organization in my community. It's not Neighbor in my old community. It's not NeighborLink, but it is very similar. And the woman doing it um, had spent years kind of as an advocate. She had worked like in Council on Aging and some, you know, some other social work-oriented fields. And she is so equipped for that. Everything about her is so equipped for that. And, you know, we met and talked about what she was doing and, you know, just some of the caveats of what she should be worried about or what she needed to think through. But none of those caveats were really an issue for her because she had been equipped. And so if I had come alongside and said to somebody like her, hey, can you help me? maybe maybe neighborlink would 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 not have fizzled in my small community.
0: Well, I'm just curious I, because it seems to me that you did a lot of right things. I mean, you formulated a board and you did all the things that that you know, most people think to do. What was the 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 major pushback uh, that you feel you feel uh impeded the effort from moving forward?
1: I honestly think that I showed up with the idea a few years too early for mm. where they were on their journey. Um, I think that the the idea of living um, missionally for these churches hadn't shown up to them um, they were still very insular the town the town is an ultra religious town at that time okay. everybody went to church um, the public schools still prayed at graduation still do still prayed before ball games um, is hyper religious. And,
0: um, yeah, I I agree with you because I I know I've done some work around the missional church and it's even still in many, uh, segments, um, a new concept. So I I was curious because what you said was, uh, you know, kind of this premise of love your neighbor seems fairly simple, but yeah, we have, we have such, uh, uh, divisiveness I think within the church itself and everyone trying to in many ways, hold on to their own there's a competitiveness if you will, or people trying to hold onto their own turf. Right. Um, yeah. It was too advanced.
1: I couldn't even get into some churches to speak about this because I wasn't an attendee of the church.
0: Right. Um, right.
1: And I thought, What well, aren't we all sharing the same mission here? Like yeah. isn't this about helping our neighbors. But you know, again, the onus for me comes back to me. I showed up with a lot of biases, a lot of assumptions. I didn't clear any of that through. Um, and had I, maybe the situation would have been different.
0: Well, I thank you for showing such a poignant story too, actually between the the hog story and this, because they're very real and concrete. And I think this second one uh, for listeners out there really should alert all of us to the fact that, I mean, just because we're passionate about something or even have the skill sets about something um, these questions that you've given us, help us really see uh, the value of, of, of even a deeper level of understanding. And and I find for myself anyway, I can't necessarily always do that work for myself. I need someone outside of me uh, to kind of pull that out of me. Uh, And that's what I love about your process. So very awesome. Awesome. And thank you so much for sharing that. Now, let me ask you in the little time that we have left a couple of questions that and I I always have an array and I kind of go, as you know, where, where the, where the guest goes uh, but what comes up for me because you've said so much and i'd like you to recap if you can and tell us then at the deepest level of meaning to you what is the essence of your work
1: yeah um i think that that the deepest level is helping others show up in the most authentic way possible mm. that is the deepest essence of my work and you know there's a lot of talk about authentic being a buzzword and you know people are using it a lot but dear lands i mean what other word can you use besides authentic and strive to be like the most pure version of yourself i think that's the passion of a lot of of coaches a lot of thought leaders is they want to show up authentically to help other people live authentically and when you're in the midst of a really noisy world that is just that's hard to do sometimes
0: it absolutely is. And I'm wondering, uh, and that's beautifully stated, by the way. And I think that's where I aligned with you um in Washington when we met was I, I I just got your authenticity and your passion for the work that you do. And I knew um, you know, that there was just something there worth exploring. And it's just to me, just been such a blessing to have you uh assist me in this this crucial time as I try to figure out uh, the depth of the work myself, because it's not always easy to articulate. Uh, So then given what you've said, in what ways do you think your work contributes to the greater good?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that, I think that that answer goes back to kind of what I started out with in the beginning is, you know, the, the whole story of we're, we're kind of all stuck in Plato's cave, you know, these prisoners stuck in his cave, just, forced to see reality from the shadows. And I think that the greater good, you know, this idea of let's pursue the common good or the greater good. I think that that cannot be done until you filter through your own, those own, your own questions of those rooted in your core identity about, you know, the beliefs and values and knowledge that those things, that's what helps us Find our way to the common good because if we don't have some, if we don't have something like that to filter all of our ideas and thoughts through, then we're really just championing our individual good. And I, I see a lot of that. It's really about the individual and not the common good. And so, my work—how does it contribute to the greater good? It helps establish that filter and that foundation for my clients to go out. And promote the common good within their own
0: their own spheres. Mm, beautiful. I love that. I love that. I just think you are so articulate and so authentic and so passionate that I I just I I mean I loved you from the minute I met you, but now I just really feel like this was kind of an ordained. Uh, connection, you and I <laughs> yeah,
1: it does feel like that, and yes, I always love chatting with you always
0: yeah it 's just so fascinating to me and and uh, so then, when we think about the complexities in today in the global world that we 're in, uh, and I know you 're probably up against it in a different way, you know, all of us, I think, to some if we 're in any related field uh, to what i 'm going to call content in the world today in this noisy world today. I know copywriters are all over the place, just like speakers and consultants and authors are. So when you think about where you want to take your business uh, in the future, what's the one thing that you think you're up against?
1: The one thing, I mean, I I feel like a broken record, but the one thing is showing up in an authentic way because when business gets hard, anxiety comes bursting through my door. It's, it can be hard as a solopreneur, especially to not just say, screw the plan. I'm just going to take the path that everybody else has laid out. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do that because look over here, she's been successful. So clearly I've, i am doing something wrong. Like it's hard. It is a hard work to Mm -hmm. consistently show up authentic. um, Because that's, you're putting everything on the line when you show mm-hmm. up you know to somebody's house in your most authentic way possible you, and you're facing rejection and failure and when you get rejected or you fail because you've been you've been true to yourself, that onus comes on you versus you reject or fail because I implemented so and so's plan well that's that's the plan's fault that's so and so's advice fault but when you walk in your own authenticity. You have to have really broad shoulders and um, that's hard because in a market that's so saturated, you sometimes feel like you're doing that all on your own.
0: I totally get that. I totally get that. So for someone out there who's listening, maybe someone stepping new into the field of not only copywriting, but any of of, of the multiple content opportunities that we all know are out there, um, what wisdom or advice would you offer them to help them manage This whole kind of dichotomy between authenticity and maybe just throwing that out the window and going along with the crowd.
1: Yeah. You know, there is a huge race out there to show up in the biggest way possible. Like it's not just enough to exist, you've got to exist loudly and in the biggest way possible. We have what I've seen in my market is we have a million Dear Abbeys out there giving their best advice to anybody who's going to take it. Mm -hmm. It is it's exhausting, especially when, you're, when you are in a field where you have to show up in that market as well. And so I think that, that my advice is to just not be afraid to step back and really take time to understand who you are, to really step back and, and do that deep work and keep returning to that deep work. Um, in Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, he talks about the idea of the hedgehog concept, Mm -hmm. you know, finding the thing that you're best at. And one thing that he wrote that was a real aha moment for me was that he found that the good to great companies took on average four years to find their hedgehog concept, four years. Mm. And he pointed out Einstein took 10 years to come up with his theory of relativity. And that was just like one of those, Deep sigh, um, stress off the shoulders. Moments for me, like, man, you live in a world where you're told follow these steps, do this, and it's easy, and it should be immediate. And if you're still if you're still struggling to figure it out, then you're doing something wrong. But that's mm-hmm. that's just not true. And so, don't be afraid to keep doing the deep work up front and to return to it over and over and over and over again. That's my advice.
0: Well, and I love that because as you know, my work is all about the deep work. So even though we do it in different ways, and I totally agree with you because I think many of us as entrepreneurs have gone down the path. There's so much out there right now on the internet and a lot of people, good people are making a lot of money um, oversimplifying the journey, in my opinion. And so um, it's wonderful to meet someone like you who is authentic, who is dedicated and passionate about the work. And I just know that you're going to go very, very far. And um, I'm just excited to be in the sidelines and and watch um, the people that you serve and how you go about growing your own business. It's been a delight having you on the show today, Lindsay. I can't thank you enough.
1: Well, thanks for having me. Like I said, always, always enjoy Talking with you I always walk away with great nuggets of things for me to chew on and think on so it's my pleasure
0: Well, and what is the easiest way for someone to learn more about you and the services you offer?
1: Yeah, the best way is to find their way to my website, which is dot I think you'll probably have that in your show notes um, that's the best way I I am in the process of a website redo and I'm hoping here in the next week or two, that will all be new. So I'm excited about that. And, um, that's the best way you can also follow me. I am on Instagram, but, I told some of my my mentors the other day, maybe it's because I'm a Gen Xer. I just, you know, social media is, is hard for me. I think it's hard for me to figure out how to be on social media and engage
0: authentically. Yeah, <laughs> it feels. Well, it's not authentic anymore. I, I'm yeah. with you. I noticed that you weren't on Facebook and I have pretty been, I mean, I'm still on Twitter and Facebook, but I, I'm not really engaging to the level that I should because it's, in my opinion, particularly Twitter has really become a cesspool. And it, it's really not a way to connect in any authentic way anymore. People are just posting, posting, posting. Um, and so I, I struggle with that as well. But um, so it's not just Gen Xer. <laughs> I think many <laughs> are starting to wonder. Uh, I was just spending way too much time on it and it just wasn't making sense. But yeah, I want it for our listeners. It's Lindsay, L I N D S A Y, Hotmire, H O T M I R E. And thank you. Right. Lindsay, so much for your time today. It's been an honor. Thanks so much, Sharon. Well, listeners, I know that you were blown away as I was with the way Lindsay thinks and her commitment to the work out there. And No matter what your industry, uh, no matter what you're doing, I mean, this is a time where we all need to consider what we're doing out there in the world on the level of authenticity. And if branding and messaging is something you need, I know she's certainly someone that can help you move in that direction as she has me. So I'm going to challenge you, as I always do, uh, because again, you know, brand messaging, messaging is one of the things that most of us have to deal with in today's business world. I'm going to challenge you to implement at least one of the ideas or strategies over the next week. Uh, that she spoke to in whatever way you can. And then always I challenge you to continue this process of personal and professional development in whatever form it takes for you because remember that you cannot be big and small at the same time. But the good news is you get to choose and I hope you will choose big. Until next time, here's to your highest potential. If you want to learn more, go to SharonSpano.com. That is S-H-A-R-O-N, Sharon, S P A N O Spano dot com or send an email to Sharon at Sharenspano dot com.